Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, April 8th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. We get the mayor's thoughts on the impact the new federal budget will have on the city of Calgary, and we hear details of the mayor's latest honour, being named the parade marshal for the official kickoff of the Calgary Expo later this month. Next, we head stateside for an update on the issues making headlines in the U.S. Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief, brings us the latest on the U.S. response to the war in Ukraine and details on rising COVID-19 cases in the country. It's a gripping true story about a fight to free an innocent man convicted of murder. We speak to Calgary-based director Wendy Hill-Tout about her new film Marlene, which chronicles the story of Stephen Truscott. And finally, we speak with Canadian music icon Alan Doyle of Great Big Sea about his latest project, a musical called Telltale Harbour. Alan tells us about his inspiration behind the musical and how you can win a chance to see it live in PEI. Mayor Jyoti Gondek has been named the Marshal of the 8th Annual POW. That's the Parade of Wonders. It kicks off the Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo. She joins us now as she does every Friday. Good morning to you, Mayor. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. This is very cool. And I think maybe we have had the opportunity to talk to you about your passions outside of City Hall. (laughs) And you're a self-professed geek. So tell us what this means to you to be the Parade Marshal. I was pretty excited that they asked me. And uh, there's an amazing lineup of people coming. There's the cast from Trailer Park Boys. There's the crew from Cobra Kai. I got to say, William Zamka was uh, my high school boyfriend, but he didn't know that. (laughs) Have you picked out your your costume yet? Do you know what you're going to dress as? Because let's face it, if you're going to be the parade marshal, you better be dressed to the nines for this thing. Well, I, I hope I deliver on a good costume. <laughs> my team my team has chosen a crew that we're going to go as, so I hope it's good. That's fun. And on the topic of the uh, Comic and Entertainment Expo, what is really cool about this is it's just to be a couple short weeks away. It does show, and it's one more indication that the city is coming back to life. It does. And you know what? We have done so much in terms of trying to attract different types of folks to our city as visitors. And Calgary Expo is just a great example of that. Um, You know, we've always done traditional types of conventions and trade shows. And this is just something a little bit different that has a lot of traction and people are pumped about. Okay, from the fun to the serious, let's talk about the federal government yesterday tabling, obviously, their 2022 budget. Anything that, you know, you want to highlight or that stands out that might affect Calgarians directly? Yeah, I hope this impacts Calgarians directly. There's a couple of of chunks of good news for um, our economy. There was an announcement that there would be an investment tax credit up to 30%. Um, It was focused on net zero technologies, uh, battery storage, and clean hydrogen, and Given that we've made a commitment to these types of moves, not only as a municipality, but the energy sector has done that over a period of years, I'm really hoping some of our businesses can benefit from that. Um, The Fed's also announced that they're going to start off investing $15 billion over the next five years to attract private sector investment for um, anyone who is doing work around emissions and uh, reduction of emissions and low-carbon industries and technologies, and a specific focus on the natural resources sector and supply chain. So, you know, it all sounds like good news, but as we say, the devil's in the details, and I would like to understand what all of those things mean. Pretty disappointed that there's nothing specific about downtown 
and a little bit disappointed that we haven't heard what kind of consultation will happen with our natural resource sector and our cities before they move forward with some of these things. All right, let's switch gears. In the news that Calgary has the lowest staffed fire department for a major city in Canada. What is City Council going to do to address, address the fire department and, and lack of resources? We've had a very odd and disappointing situation with how we fund our fire department over the last few years. Um, I remember during budget session in 2018 when we were setting a four-year budget, I asked the question why there were cuts proposed to the fire department when we know that they were understaffed. And we got the response that every business unit had to take cuts across the board. And I spent about three years saying, that's not how you run a city. That's not how you operate a budget. So I continued to retain the funds that we needed for the fire department, but I couldn't get enough people to agree with me to boost the budget. Well, we managed to boost the budget this last November with our new council, and there's now a proposal that administration come back to us with exactly how we fund the fire department to the level that we need to when we set our four-year plan. So I'm hopeful with a new council that we get ourselves there. Mayor, uh, another topic to talk to you about, uh, lots of controversy around the Calgary uh, Calgary Police Department, excuse me, and the thin blue line patch. Uh, that is causing uh, some discord among the rank and file in the police department. Does this trickle down to your job and to council in any way, shape or form, or, or how does that shake out? You know, I think, Sue, what it trickles down to for council is our ability to explain um, the situation and not necessarily excuse me, offer our opinions or weigh in on direction, but um, a lot of people have asked me what the issue is with the thin blue line patch, and they, they've asked why we are opposed to uh, members of the service honoring the fallen, and I need to explain, it's, no one's opposed to honoring the fallen. The question becomes, what does the thin blue line patch actually represent in the broader community? And I can tell you there are racialized Calgarians who have seen over time that that patch has been co-opted. There were race riots back in L.A. in the 60s. There were um, political antics in England over time. And so it's been co-opted, and that's the struggle. And the commission did exhaustive consultation to demonstrate that there are problems with this patch, and they have made a request of the chief, and I guess we will see what happens. Mayor, thank you for your time this weekend, and have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Appreciate that. That's Mayor Jyoti Gondek, and you can look for her on the 22nd the Parade Marshal of POW, mm-hmm. POW, the Parade of Wonders, kicking it off. And I'm interested. I want to see that costume. Me too. What like, does the mayor choose? Oh, and then her whole team. That could yeah. be really fun. The U.S. is set to confirm their first black female U.S. Supreme Court to justice with details on that. And the latest news from our neighbors south of the border. We're joined by Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Good morning to you, Jackson. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. Uh, Before we get to to anything, let's talk about uh, the Ukraine and, of course, U.S. sanctions. The latest uh, things seem to be increasing on that front, aren't they? Yeah, they really do. And it seems like each sort of new atrocity that's exposed here uh, really prompts the U.S. to take further and further steps when it comes to sanctions. We saw that uh, after the uh, massacre in Bucha earlier this week, that the U.S. really led the charge on increased sanctions, which included direct sanctions on Vladimir Putin's adult daughters who are believed to be hiding his assets. And so I think we're sort of in a, a stage now where the question is, what other horrors are revealed and what do they prompt the U.S. to do? Uh, do they prompt the U.S. to get 
get directly involved, which is something that has not been on the table so far? Do they perhaps prompt secondary sanctions on countries like China and India that are still buying Russian energy uh, as a way to really inflict pain on the Russian economy? Those are sort of the unanswered questions at this point. All right, uh, switching gears a little bit, lots to get to this morning, Jackson, and uh, this one was one that I was very pleased to see, but Senate voting yesterday, 53 to 47, to confirm Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson making her the first black woman elevated to the Supreme Court about damn time. Yeah, you know, I was talking to a legal scholar about this yesterday, and uh, she pointed out that the first uh, black woman uh, became a lawyer in this country in the 1870s. That's how overdue this level of representation is on the highest court in this country. Uh, Of course, most Republicans put up a stink about this, but they were going to do that no matter who Joe Biden's nominee was. That was pretty much the expectation at this point. Uh, She will not become officially Justice Jackson until uh, later this summer when the Supreme Court actually enters its recess and Justice Breyer, who she's replacing, formally retires, but she's confirmed by the Senate, and later on this morning, we'll actually have sort of a welcome ceremony at the White House involving uh, her, President Biden, and Vice President Kamala Harris, herself, of course, a history maker, and she oversaw that historic vote in the Senate yesterday. Speaking with Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief Jackson here in Canada, we're seeing an uptick of COVID cases. What is the latest as far as COVID and the numbers in the U.S.? Yeah, it's definitely surging here in the U.S. and specifically here in Washington, D.C. Just yesterday, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who, of course, is second in line to the president, uh, she tested positive for COVID-19, along with two sitting members of the U.S. Senate who were in the chamber yesterday for that vote on Katanji Brown-Jackson. Uh, it seems to be ripping through, especially official Washington right now, because this is the first spring in two years where many of the events have uh, restarted in an attempted return to normal, and it's just not working out that way. Uh, There was a sort of high rollers dinner a a weekend ago, uh, a pretty uh, major event for uh, journalists and uh, politicians and lobbyists in this town. And there are now at least 15 cases from people who are at that event. And it sort of raises the question of whether the White House Correspondents' Dinner in just a couple weeks can actually go ahead as planned. Uh, It looks doubtful at this point, to be honest. Interesting. Uh, Okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, this story because I'm not, I I need your your expertise and your details (laughs) on it. But fake law enforcement officers bribing members of the Secret Service. What's this one all about? Yeah, this is absolutely wild, and the details are slowly emerging. Essentially, what happened was Wednesday night, uh, we saw the FBI and a number of law enforcement agencies raid a luxury condominium building here in Washington. Uh, What it turns out is that two men were apparently posing as agents for the Department of Homeland Security and had somehow taken over several apartments in that building and then offered free apartments to members of the Secret Service. They also offered other bribes including expensive weapons to members of the Secret Service, including members of the First Lady's security detail. So details still emerging about this. Lots of questions about who these people were that were posing as law enforcement, how they were able to get away with this. They apparently had tapped into the building's surveillance system as part of this plot that was unfolding. And it's really not clear if perhaps they might have been working for some sort of foreign intelligence service, what they might have been up to. But there are four members of the Secret Service now on leave while all of this is being investigated. I can see a movie maybe with a George Clooney or a Matt Damon involved, but boy, that is the stuff out of Hollywood. Wow, uh, what a busy week. Thanks for your time, Jackson. Have a great weekend. You too. Jackson Prosco, a Global News Washington Bureau Chief. Sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. That <laughs> truly has been the theme of the past bizarre. two years. I, I want to switch gears, and we can get to the Lotto Max. It's going to be a big one tonight. But, you know, so many people go out of their way to win the lottery. Mm-hmm. They work so hard at it. They mm-hmm. have the same numbers. They have a routine. They have a schedule. And uh, they have a plan. 
Um, sometimes you can just win by accident. Do you remember the show Touched by an Angel? Yeah, yeah. This story kind of reminds me weirdly of this. But okay. okay. So as you were saying, you know, there's a, a woman in California. She plays the same number. She does the same thing. Well, she accidentally won $10 million because <laughs> she was, I guess they have a lottery vending machines, lottery ticket vending machines at the supermarkets what? in the U.S. Okay. So there she is. She wants to buy the tickets that she always buys. And some rude person bumped into her, causing her to accidentally press the wrong button on the machine. So this lady says, this guy, he just, he bumps into her, doesn't say anything, and just walks right out the door. There's the angel part. Oh, I see. He was there to help her out. So it caused her to spend 30 bucks on one ticket, which she wouldn't normally spend nor buy. And then she couldn't buy some of her cheaper regular tickets that she would buy. Anyway, whatever, you know, that's just the way it is. She's got this ticket now, goes, gets in her car, sits down, starts to scratch. No way. $30 ticket? She won the top prize, $10 million. What? $10 million. crazy. She did not complain after Wild. that. Wild. I've had a lot of accidents, but it's never <laughs> Nothing as good led as me to that. $10 million. She said she almost crashed her car on the way home. I bet. Yeah, the nerves. The excitement, but nerves nevertheless, the surprise. I do love as well. The uh, California State Lottery people say that she is going to use her winnings to buy a house and to start a nonprofit organization. Oh, that's great. Love it. Heart is in the right place, too. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, it wasn't, well, it was $70 million. Now it's been diminished somewhat. It's only going to be $45 million, uh, the Lotto Max uh. tonight. So you have that opportunity again, Sue. Okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go buy a ticket. It's going to be warm out. You can barbecue. You can maybe win $45 million. That sounds like a, a winning weekend, doesn't it? Yeah, a weekend to remember, I would think. <laughs> yeah. Marlene is a new film inspired by Marlene Truscott, a housewife who fought to exonerate her husband from a crime he didn't commit. To talk about this powerful story and the film, we're joined this morning by the Alberta-born director, Wendy Hill-Tout. Good morning, Wendy. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Okay, complicated story. People might recognize the name Truscott. Give us, can you give us like Cole's Notes version of what happened in this story? Well, in 1959, a 14-year-old boy, Stephen Truscott, uh, gave a ride to a, a young girl, 12 years old, um, to the highway because she was going to hitchhike to see the ponies. And um, and then she disappeared, and they found her dead. And since he was the last one to be with her, they fingered Stephen. Um, so that was the original story. And then Marlene, seven years later, heard that story. He was still in jail. Um, he had been sentenced to be hung originally, but they... They changed it to life in prison. And um, during his appeal seven years later, Marlene became a campaigner for him and then met him when he got out and fell in love with him. Wow, an incredible story, Wendy, but also very heavy. What was it that attracted you to taking part in a project like this? I mean, I just thought it was very inspirational. Here was this ordinary housewife, Marlene, who swore on her wedding day someday she was going to help this man. So... Um, I just, I, I found the story very moving and affirming because I think everyone can be a Marlene and fight for truth and justice. And that's just what she did. Opening in select theaters as of today in Calgary, Landmark Cinemas up in Northeast and Coventry in my neighborhood. So I'm excited. Uh, you know, if you could tell people, you know, a little bit about it, why you think they should go out and see the movie? What, what makes this different and, and kind of exciting to go and check out? I think this is such an important story and, uh, Canadian history. And I think telling Marlene's story 
is so important because, I mean, we're in an era where truth is under attack and she fought for the truth and she also fought for justice. And I think all of us have to do that every day of our lives. Incredible. Oh, we can't wait to see it. Thanks for your time and, uh, you know, your, uh, your, your story that you're going to be sharing with us. It's now in theaters. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Wendy. Thank you. Wendy Heltout, of course, Alberta director of the new film Marlene. And it, Sue, as you mentioned, you know, a couple across the city, you can check it out. It kicks off tonight. I am lifted, I am lifted. When I'm up, I can't get down. Can't get down, can't get level. Great Big C's Alan Doyle is back. Not with a new album, but with a new musical called Telltale Harbor and an incredible opportunity for you to see it. Joining us now is Canada's favorite Newfoundlander, the one and only live from Charlottetown (laughs) PEI, Alan Doyle. Hi, Alan. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on. Pleasure to chat with you. Okay, more than a dozen albums with the band, solo albums. You're an author, so obviously a lot of free time. So you decided to write and star <laughs> in a musical. Tell us all about Telltale Harbor. How long have you been working on this? Oh, for a few years now. Uh, Telltale Harbor is uh, an adaptation, a musical comedy adaptation of a film that, that uh, most Canadians will know called The Grand Seduction. And it's a... Uh, it's about a uh, small Atlantic Canadian fishing town that has lost its its fish plant and is in the running to get a replacement fish plant to save the town. But it needs to overcome one significant hurdle, that being they need to seduce and attract and retain a full-time doctor to come stay in Telltale Harbor. And as luck would have it, a young doctor is coming on a locum and the town has a very short period of time to uh, convince the young fella that Telltale Harbor is where he should spend the rest of his life. Alan, you're a singer-songwriter. You've been in showbiz for more than a couple of years. What were the challenges when it uh, came to to putting a musical together? What did you find? Oh, Coming from the songwriting world, writing songs for a musical is an incredible uh, challenge in that, of course, your your songs are are only a small part of what's happening. And the the way I like to describe it is it's like a Rubik's Cube. You know, a musical is like a Rubik's Cube. And and I'm in charge of the blue side, you know, the songwriting (laughs) side. And so every couple of weeks I'd spin it and go, hey, everybody, guess what? I got all the blue stuff lined up. It's all great. And, of course, the people from the the yellow side and the green side go, yeah, but you just shagged up three things that we're doing, so we got to spin the whole thing again. So every department is constantly... uh, supporting the other one and adapting and changing and twisting and developing, you know, the whole the four or five columns of the musical kind of in concert and in parallel. So it's very, very, very collaborative. When you were a young Alan Doyle, pre-Great Big C, did you, were you in theater? Were you in musicals? Where'd that come from? I've never really been in a musical in my life, no. Uh, um, I, I, I did, I was in like drama club and stuff in, 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 uh, in high school, and I really enjoyed that, and, and I've done a little bit of, you know, film and television acting in my life and stuff, but no, I've never been involved in a musical, even though I've been a fan of them for a long time, you know, and I just, uh, I love that kind of, um, that kind of night out that you can only get with musical theater, you know, and, and so it's uh, it's just a challenge and kind of a new, uh, oh, it's just a new dance floor to dance on for me, so I'm really, I'm equal parts excited and terrified, exactly the <laughs> way it should be. Oh, man. We're going to talk about an opportunity to check it out in PEI. You've got a great opportunity, again, speaking with Alan Doyle, a legend from Great Big C and co-creator and star of Telltale Harbor. Uh, But, uh, you know, in the end, 
we, we associate you with with the Maritimes, but you come to Alberta quite often. We love having you here. You've got quite a fan base. What is it about Albertans that you connect with, Alan? Oh, hard-working, hard-playing people always was. You know, it's just like, you know, not to mention, of course, the places disproportionately occupied with Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, which always touches my hair. <laughs> the, uh, it's like, you know, it's our home away from home, really, isn't it? I mean, I was like, marriage, the marriage between Alberta and Newfoundland and Labrador has always been a great one in that, uh, in, in our lifetimes, Alberta's always needed people to go to work, and Newfoundlanders are always looking for somewhere to go to work. And it, so, you know, I, I'd like to think that the, you know the landscape of of Alberta has been uh, has been touched by uh, you know Newfoundlanders and Atlanticans making their way there, and it's been a great marriage. And but I mean, for my touring life, I mean, my favorite times in Alberta have always been just you know on the nights out because you know Alberta is just one of those places that you know goes hard at work Monday morning, but when Friday four o'clock comes, look out, it is on, and uh, so I've always loved it. You know it. Okay, so a musical in Charlottetown, PEI, sounds lovely, but most of us probably aren't going there for our holidays. Or are we? You have that a super way. exciting contest to tell us about, so let her up. Yeah, it's go to the Confed Center, the Confederation Center of the Arts uh, website or my website or whatever, and you'll find a link to a contest that uh, a few people are going to win trips for two to Charlottetown for a few days this summer hotels and flights and all that kind of stuff and come see the show and hang out with me and the cast for a bit and see Telltale Harbor in Charlottetown, be a part of the storied Charlottetown Festival, which has been running since 1965, I think. Like, it's just an incredibly uh, legendary uh, part of the uh, art scene of, uh, of Canada. Oh, wow. So much fun mm-hmm. vacationing in our own uh, country and, of course, checking out uh. Alan Doyle. And the latest production, which is very cool. I love the idea of you doing a musical, Telltale Harbor. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks for having us today. Cheers to y'all. You too. You can go online, by the way, yes, confederationcenter.com slash contest. Alan invited you himself. It'd be rude if you didn't. It really would be. Uh, do check it out. That was, of course, Alan Doyle, a Canadian music legend from Great Big C. AlanDoyle.ca as well. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.